right. If, uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to both Galatians 5. You may want to uh, open there. And then if you wanted to flip over to Philippians 4, you could do that as well. But we'll have it on the screen. Or you may have an app on your phone or whatever device you want to use. But we're going we're gonna to launch out of Galatians 5 again because this series is a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is because... Uh, we're a church that wants everything to be under the banner of this life of discipleship that is an apprenticeship under Jesus that he's called us to. And that's, that's what we're all about, is, is we don't think any personality, pastor, program is, is going to give us this peace, only Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And so we're just all about being his apprentices. And we believe that the way Jesus does his apprenticeship program is he doesn't do it with us just, you know, one-on-one. He... He calls disciples. He does have one-on-ones with them. He does have one-on-threes, one-on-twelves. He, he, he does all this. And so we believe that if we want to live in the fruit of the Spirit, it, it means that that is what discipleship is all about. Uh, the world is not, uh, does not need more empty religion. The world does not need more legalism, however we dress it up, even in the language of grace. The world needs us to be who Jesus was. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit are all about. And so we will never uh, understand what discipleship is if we don't see that this is the goal. And we also will be overwhelmed with that, though, if we don't realize that it takes the power of the Spirit to do that. If we try to go out of here and will ourselves to love, will ourselves to, to have joy, will ourselves to have peace, uh, we're just going to end up more anxious, depressed, and overwhelmed than you ever were in your life. So let's, let's just, all our little southern religious legalistic hearts, just do not make the fruit of the Spirit into your new commandments. It will, it will kill you. It will be the hardest thing that you could ever try. But we also want to believe that these things are possible for us through the Holy Spirit. That we can cultivate a life where these fruits can grow, where they're not just empty church language, but they're actually already ours because this Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And although this, this imagery of a garden helps us a lot, uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that we can't have hope. And while the imagery of the garden helps us is because we, we know things grow in a garden gradually. And they take work. And they take time. And they're seasonal. But the Holy Spirit is the great gardener for those who abide in Christ. So let's read in context as we always do each week and then also we'll read from Philippians 4. So Galatians 5 beginning in verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul talks more about it in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yet your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Let's hear from Jesus as well. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we ask you to help us today. Some of us even now are very anxious about this subject of anxiety and peace. We pray, God, that you would help us as the enemies, even our own flesh today, wants to whisper lies in our ears to keep us from even hearing what you have to say. We know, we are already feel it in my own heart, Father, the yeah buts of the enemy. Some of us are afraid of this subject. Others of us are, feel great shame because maybe we've lived our lives and just mired in the mud of this worry and anxiety. Some of us feel guilty because it, we feel like we just can't get over it. Others of us feel so lonely in it, Father. Some of us on anxiety medications that make us feel like we're just broken worse than other people are. And nobody else can know about it because we feel such a stigma. Father, some of us are so angry. We're so angry. So we feel so misunderstood, so labeled and categorized or discarded. But Father, we thank you that regardless of how we feel regarding this issue, that you know us to the depths. And yet you Love us to the end. Holy Spirit, take whatever is said that is true today. Pierce our hearts. Show us Jesus. 
and grow the fruit of the Spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared this with some of you guys, but uh, I, don't, I don't recommend any child in here or adult use the phrase freaking out. But that's how I can say it, if I say a disclaimer like that. So really just freaking out about preparing this sermon on not freaking out. I mean, the, the, I don't know if even irony is the right word, but the, just the craziness of it. Like, you could ask my kids last night, was gone most of the week, didn't have a chance to be in my regular rhythms of preparation, we're at home trying to get everybody bed, Cassie's out of town trying to do all, all of that stuff that she does that I don't even usually notice probably, and, and it's just this anxiety just building up, right? Because cause I've got you guys, right? Uh, that you know you want to care about and be concerned for, but you also want to make sure that you please, that you that you love well. And so often I didn't realize it until taking this week to just think about this, at what a grip anxiety can have in my life. That normally I might not think of myself as a, a typically anxious person, or others might not think of that, but how often that anxiety is there. And I heard someone share this, that maybe people are like computers a lot in this regard. And so, if, depending on what, what type of computer you have, some of you in here, right, you got too many programs running in the background, just too much of stuff is going on, and it gets to the point, right, you may have to control-alt-delete, right, it's just going to start this thing over. Or other, others of you may have a different type of computer, there's too many windows going on in the background, there pops that little uh, beach ball, or whatever it is, the spinning circle with the colors. And the reason is there's just too many things going on. You've got all these background programs running. And, and it, sooner or later, it's like things just start to shut down. Uh, my, my children have taught me that if I, my battery will run out faster on my phone if I don't swipe out of all the things going on. I thought, that, this is so much like how I live and maybe how you live is there's just always all of this stuff going on in the background of our minds and hearts. We're running all of these programs off of this anxiety and, and it just drains us. And so when we, when we enter into relationships with other people or maybe even relationship with God, it's, it's, we, it's we sadly get to the point that I know I can get to to where we're just kind of surviving this thing. I'm just surviving life. I'm just surviving you. And now we just become managers. Right? So how can I manage this moment with this person? Because I am so afraid right now. How can I manage this, per this moment even with God? Because I don't even know how to be honest before Him. How can I manage my job? How can I manage my marriage? How can I manage my relationships? How can I manage my finances? There's all this stuff going on in the background. And so we're, we're, we're an anxious culture. And we're trying to run out our fear by running off our fear. And that just doesn't work. Fear won't defeat fear. I, th I think the best that I can understand it, the, the, the word in the original languages, and I know some of you guys know this better than I do, how to, for anxieties, just basically means 
fractured or in pieces. So when we think of what it means for someone to live in an anxious state, it means your insides are fractured. They're not whole. They're, you're, you are in pieces on the inside. And you're scrambling to patch that up, to, to bring things together. But because we're scrambling to, 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 to take care of our anxiety off of the fuel of our anxiety, it just leaves us in this vicious cycle. And in the middle of that, God says, you can have peace. In the middle of that, God actually says, you have peace. The Holy Spirit of God, the one, the, the one who is this picture of peace so oftentimes in scriptures, whether in the form of a, of a dove or in the form of the resurrection, indwells us. That God is a God of the, of, that the Hebrews said of shalom, of wholeness. A God who takes what is fractured and makes it whole, puts back together what has been broken. And for many of us, we have this big vision of God doing that in all of the world. But we have this little bitty picture of God when it comes to our hearts. We believe maybe in the peace that God makes. But that's not what the fruit of the Spirit is talking about here. It's not talking about the peace that God has made between you and Him. The fruit of the Spirit is talking about the peace that God gives. And certainly the peace that God gives flows from the peace that God has made. But those who truly believe in the peace that God has made will be those who seek to cultivate the peace that God gives. The peace of God to face the pieces of our fractured selves. We have to do justice, though, again. We do this every week. That this is war. This is war. And just because we can't beat our anxiety with our anxiety or beat our fear with our fear doesn't mean that we cannot take up and wield the Word of God and His gospel in this battle. Verse 17 again. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You don't want to be anxious. Guess what? As soon as you acknowledge that you are going to seek God's peace, just be prepared for the attack of hell upon your soul. So we've got to understand this. What, what does it mean when, when we're called to peace, or as Paul said in Philippians 4, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not be anxious. First off, being anxious, being worried, it's not being concerned. It's also not feeling the weight of serious things. If you look in the Scriptures, we could go so many places, but just go to Jesus. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, He's not being anxious. Jesus will come back to this in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the, the most difficult event in the history of the world. He is not being anxious. Paul speaking of the daily deep concern and burden he has for the churches that he is seeking to lead in the way of Christ. You know, we're not talking here about this anxiety that is opposed to the fruit of the Spirit of peace. It's very important for us to see that. 
The opposite of peace, what anxiety is, it's an over-concern. It's a preoccupation with your self-protection. I'm going to say that again. Anxiety is an over-concern. It's a hyper-concern. And it is a preoccupation with your self-protection. A life of anxiety is a life of a person who is going around always asking the question, am I safe right now? And always answering the question, no, probably not. Some of you have lived like that maybe most of your lives. And so it feels normal to you. What Jesus is coming to you today and to me today is not to knock us on the head and say, snap out of it. He wants to meet you there. He wants to show you that your circle of healthy concern has moved over into the, the realms of only God's greatness and goodness and, and, and sovereignty and love. Like the, you, you, you have stepped your heart over into the areas that only God can inhabit. And you know this as well as I do, is that no amount of reason helps a worried person. Not this type of anxiety I'm talking about. I mean, you could give them the best argument in the world, and it's like they're just, it's like a deer in headlights. Because what we're talking about here is much deeper than just somebody being giving a logical argument. You don't logic someone out of their anxiety. What does it feel like? I, you guys help me, maybe. If any of you, I don't know that any of you in here have ever battled with this anxiety or worry, but let's say some of you may have. Uh, what does it feel like when you feel this anxiety? What does anxiety, what does worry feel like? Stuck? Just stuck. It's good. What else? Choking, drowning. That's good. Let's be honest. great. It's this, it's this feeling of like obsession. It's good. Just plan, plan, plan. Got to know. Anything else? Feelings. Physical feelings. What's it feel like physically too? Choking, drowning, suffocating. Yeah, choking, drowning, suffocating. great. I love that image. You, just, you can't grab hold of anything. It's like you try to grab hold and it's gone. Feels like hopelessness. It feels lonely too sometimes, doesn't it? 
because of that. You're, you're falling, you're trying to grab stuff, but it's like I can't grab anything. I'm choking, I'm suffocating. And there's, and there's not really sometimes any words you can really put to it. You know, like sometimes we think if we can explain it to somebody else and feel like they get it, we, we don't feel as lonely. But sometimes it's just like, I can't even really get it out there. Because we're in pieces. For me, sometimes it's like it feels like I can't sleep. It feels like it, Kat was saying, until I know this plan that's going to happen or until I get on the other side of whatever it is I'm anxious about. And so it, I honestly tell myself, well, it's just going to be like this until you get that over with, until you have that conversation, until that decision's made. And sometimes it, it honestly feels like, I would totally agree, this suffocation, this drowning, like I can't breathe. Like there's been certain nights to where Cassie thinks I'm like going crazy. I'll sit up in bed and I'm just trying to like get a breath. It's like I can't get my breath. She's got to talk to me. She's got to calm me down. I've got to get up and walk around a little bit or something. It's just, it's the walls are closing in. It's like, it's like at one sense you can't grab a hold of anything and then it feels like something's got you in here. And what's so scary sometimes is you don't even know what it is. It's something you don't know what it is. We're under attack. This, this isn't just, you know, you forgot to, you, you know, you're, you're telling yourself all the Bible verses, you know, and, and we need to do that, but like, man, you're, we need to realize we're at war here. Because, because when we're in that place, we, we lose ourselves. We're in pieces. children are in here today, so I thought this may, may be a good way to relate this for them, maybe for some of you older people. I'm not a video game player, so don't say, oh, these guys and their illustrations. Cassie has to remind me that nobody gets. You ladies would be way better at video games than me. Just ask my children. Uh, so there's third-person shooter games and first-person shooter games. Here's my best take of this. A third-person shooter game, Bodhi, you could help me, is you're watching yourself on the screen. So if you've ever played a game, you're playing it, and you can see your character running around with a gun, right, or whatever, doing his thing. A first-person shooter game is where you can't see yourself. Is this right? So a first-person shooter game, you can't see yourself. You're just playing the game. Somebody pointed this out recently is, is when, you, when, you're, when you're in that third-person shooter mode, is you're just like hyper vigilantly, you know, like watching everything around you, watching your back. And that's why so many times people actually prefer to play like the first person shooter games, is because it's like you're, you're like more present, you're actually there, you're actually in the middle of what's going on. I was thinking about this the, the anxious person lives this life of where they're always watching themselves. And where they're always just, again, in this hyper-vigilance. It's, 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 it's as if they're not really getting to play the game of life. They're not really getting to like enjoy life. It's because they're, they're, they're having to watch themselves. They're having to watch everything around them. It's everything is on alert. It's like the person who is, is so afraid of snakes that every time they walk out in their backyard, every stick is potentially a snake. 
So they're just walking, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, stick. And it's not because they're crazy. It's because there were snakes in their yard at one point. Like something in your past, right? Some, that brown thing in your yard was a snake. And if you got bit, then now you're even more on, a, on alert, right? And some of you in here walked out into your backyard, backyard of your life, when you were younger or recently, and you thought, ah, it'll be okay, and you got bit. You got hurt. Some of us have sticks everywhere. And we've got to be able to tell the truth about this. There's probably some of you in here, if not most of you, I don't know, who are on some type of anxiety medication. And it just made you feel really anxious that I said medication. Because guess what? We're in church, right? And we all just need to pretend. What's wrong with the church? If, if we're all out here just trying to cope, trying to find something to take the edge off, something to help us just be even be physically able to grab hold of something, we can't even talk about it without it feeling weird with each other. I don't want us to be like that. I don't feel any shame about that. Because you know what? All of us in here are on anxiety medication. You may not get a prescription for it, but you're in it with denial, right? Everything is just fine. Every day with Jesus is greater than the day before. Things are, people have it worse in Africa. You are so afraid. I'll be okay. Let's just tough it out. Some of you numb and cope with your anxiety by using it to get you revved up to attack the world. Like, my worry's good. Worry gets me energy. Worry helps me make good plans. Anxiety makes me effective. If I feel nervous, it's just, I just go after it. And you're a scared little boy or girl. But it's worked. worked but will it work is it worship some of you are so you just numb yourself whether it's through alcohol or scrolling on Facebook right I can't even be alone with my thoughts going to use the bathroom that would just totally be too much for me you know going to bed at night you got to have some kind of noise on you got to have something right because you can you're just scared to death to be alone with your thoughts. And sometimes it's overreactions how you cope with it, right? If I get really worried, people will take me seriously. If I just stay anxious, I'll be seen, I'll be noticed. But the heart of all this worry, though, is not just self-doubt, it's self-trust. We think we can... That's such a, such a great illustration, Cat. We actually think that we can take our life by the horns, by the reins, and, and get rid of this thing. 
We think we can protect ourselves. And if we don't live with this hypervigilance, then we, we will not be protected. That we, we say, if I do not have control, I will be controlled. And when I live like this, however tough or great we think we are, you know what you, we are? We're like me. I get really weird. Cat knows I love her. We all, that's weird, <laughs> right? Like I'm going to plan every minute of my day, and the reason I say that is because that's how I am. Me, me not being able to have a conversation with my wife because I can't breathe, that's what I mean by weird. Like this is not normal. Does that make sense? Cat, I hope you feel no shame. I'm just using you. I'm just, I'm just using you as an example. Like all of us in here have that story. All of us in here have the story. If we would all be as bold and vulnerable as you were, thank you, to say this is how I've dealt with my anxiety in a way that probably the people who know me the best are sitting back and thinking, are they about to lose it? So I want us to feel that. You know, we want to feel things here. But there's good news. There's life in peace. So what does God offer the anxious soul? Well, we see in the fruit of the Spirit, He offers us peace. He offers peace for us who live our life in pieces. He offers peace for us who can't be present with other people. He offers peace for people like me. And again, what I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel shame now for saying that about Kat. But anyway, I hope she didn't. So, so notice, oh man, this is a great illustration. I didn't plan it. So now I'm so anxious about that, I'm going to start acting weird. So that proves my point. Does that make sense? All right, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I just get weird in front of you guys. If you're in a relationship with me, you'll see it. I want you to ask me when I feel weird around you. I give you permission to say, hey, what are you anxious about right now? It's feeling a little, feeling a little off. And if I'm honest with you, I'll probably say, I'm, I'm afraid of something in our relationship. So again, peace. We go to Philippians chapter 4. We're told to not be anxious. And we're told that the God of peace will give us peace that surpasses all understanding. What is peace? Peace is a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and the sovereignty and the goodness of God more than your own. It's an important end. You have this confidence. You have this rest in the wisdom and the sovereignty and the goodness of God more than your own. Because anxiety is you resting in your own sovereignty, you resting in your own wisdom, you resting in your own knowledge and in your own goodness too. You're thinking, I've got to be hyper-present with myself because this is how I live, but that's, that, that's life in pieces. But peace is when you cultivate and grow into this confidence and rest. In the Bible, peace, whether it's peace with God, peace with others, peace with self, peace is the reconciliation of conflict. And peace is the answer to anxiety, but this is important. Peace is not always the removal of fear. We're going to talk about this in a minute. But in all, you could look at the probably, is it 365 times, I think, in the Bible, we're told to do not be afraid. And so some people will say, there's, that's why you should, 365, somebody said this this past week, I heard this, 365 verses, 365 days a year, that's why you never should be afraid. And if you're honest, some of you in here who have a little too much confidence, raise your head up. But most of us are like, said 365 days to fail. (laughs) 
But in all of those passages, what God doesn't say, when He tells people to not be afraid, almost all of them are followed with a promise. And the promise is, now, don't be afraid, Billy Tough Guy. No, don't be afraid, for I am with you. The Lord is at hand. This is what God is offering us in our anxiety. He's offering us Himself. He's offering us His presence. He's offering us His Psalm 23 shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His provision. He's offering us His protection. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff they comfort me. He's offering us His preparation for the future. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Not in the absence of my enemies. Not outside the valley of the shadow of death. Not with lots of needs, but with lots of wants. You offer me yourself. We stay stuck in our anxiety when we're asking God to do things for us He does not offer and will not give. He is not going to give you the plans for your future. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen next week. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen next year. And when you're saying, if I don't have that, then I will live my life in this inner fracture, then you will. He does not offer us a knowledge of all the facts. Some of you think in here, if I can just finally get my perfect doctrinal statement down to the T, then I will have peace in my heart. He doesn't offer you that. I can then manage life if I can just logically put all the pieces together. He's never, read your Bible, that's never been offered to anyone. Also though, he doesn't offer you peace by saying, knowing God doesn't matter. There's some people in our world who are trying to get peace through a hyper mystery. Right? Like, oh, we, we don't really know anything, do we? And all you need to do is just accept the fact that you can't know anything, and now you can be at peace. No. It's a sham. He doesn't offer you security in all of your finances. He's not going to give you peace there. He doesn't offer you peace in saying you're finally going to have non-stop comfort and non-stop fun. He doesn't offer you a constant connection with other people. And although I don't want to sound like an old geezer fuddy-duddy, uh, if we think these little things walking around in our pockets are bringing us less anxiety, then we're just crazy. We are hyper-connected. Do you realize there used to be a day and time where you couldn't vent to somebody immediately? You had to actually wait until you saw them or they got to a phone that was attached to something. Now we can just like, from here to here, you know, no processing. And people can do that to us. We can't get away from anybody. 
We can't be alone with ourselves. We can't be present with ourselves. If you can't be present with yourself, you can't be present with God. He doesn't offer us peace in that. And He also doesn't offer us peace in what some might call codependency, which is just saying, I'm okay if you're okay. I can only have peace if I know you're at peace. God doesn't offer us that in our relationships. He offers us peace in Him. He offers us peace through His presence. Where we can say, I don't have a clue what's going to happen next week. It might be the worst thing in the world. And we hear Him say, I am with you. He doesn't say, stop feeling what you feel. He doesn't say, let me... Let me explain to you once again the doctrine of my sovereignty. He says, I am with you. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. All those sticks in your backyard that were snakes and bit you, I'll never bite you. All those people that let you down, that left you, all those times that you think back and you think, man, if I could do that over again, I'd protect myself. I won't, that let, I won't let that happen again. I'm saying, I'm with you. This is what I think Paul means when he talks about a peace that passes understanding. He's not talking about a peace that bypasses our minds. He's talking about a peace, though, that is not conventional. It's not normal. It's not what the world would think. It's a peace that guards our hearts and our minds from the cliffs of the what-ifs, from the ditches of the witches from the quits and all our fits. It's His presence. Elisha told me that I could share this, and I've shared a little bit about it before, but I want to, I want to take it a little farther. I'm sure he'll feel embarrassed. Is He, he told me I could do it. Uh, he really wrestles with anxiety and being worried. And we're trying to make it normal in our home where you can feel things. You can talk about them. I'm the worst at it in our house. Just ask them. And sometimes he'll get anxious at night if he has to be alone. And uh, and want a lot, want a sound, want a presence. But I, I was similar when I was younger. I remember I would lay on my bed and I could hear footsteps coming down the hall. They'd never get there, but I could hear them coming. And I remember thinking, if I don't put my arms or legs off the side of the bed, then whatever it is can't get me. And so I just lay there like this for a long time. And if I remembered, some of you know what I'm talking about, I, I turned on WQMT early enough to distract me, the radio station. But Elisha, the other side of this is he is like an awesome hunter for a little boy. This past year, he killed three deer in one day. I don't know if that was legal. But his grandpa said it was. He may have killed four, because it sounds like there's a lot of shooting going on. They stopped looking because maybe that was going to be the limit. Do you know what you have to do to, to do that? 
you got to, if you know anything about hunting, you've got to go out into the dark. Not just the dark of your bedroom, you've got to walk out into the dark woods and forest where there are actual things that could harm you. Like that takes a lot of courage, whether you're going in the morning and you're walking in in the dark or you're going at night and you're walking out in the dark. So how does little guy here, who's going to make me fight for every, every inch to get him to bed sometimes, how does he do that? What's the answer? Who knows it? He's not alone. His papa's with him. Now, if you were to see his papa, you might think that's not too big and intimidating guy, but he is to him. And he's got a gun. Nothing's changed. It's actually a worse situation. But somebody's with him that's bigger than the situation. And the presence changes everything. So all of us in here, we are walking in the dark. We're going to walk out of here into the dark of ourselves and our world. But we're not going to go alone. God is going to be with you. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what internal struggles of our, of our faith. We don't know what things are going to happen in our family. We don't know our future. But we know God is with us. And with that not being enough for us, it leaves us trapped. Some of you, your belief in God's sovereignty just makes you more anxious. You just think, what is that guy going to do next? But when you can believe in God's control, but also you believe in God's good and faithful presence... And you can trust Him with your future. You can trust Him with your past. And when it's too hard for you to trust Him, when we're so out of time, we know where we look. We look to the cross. You want to talk of a time when you would have looked and you would have said, I knew it. I knew everything was going to fall apart. I knew this Jesus was all hype. I knew He was more. I just knew he was less than everything that he said he was. Can you imagine being a disciple? And you're thinking, I left everything to follow him. I walked away from my family. I thought he was going to come through for me. And look at him hanging up there naked, being made fun of, being killed. It was the worst case scenario ever. But we know even then and especially then what Jesus was doing is he was bringing victory for warriors like us. That in the moment where it looked like everything finally had fallen apart, God was putting everything back together. He was forgiving us for the sin of our, all our control idolatries, but he was also healing us for all of the times we just really were let down, were really hurt, abandoned, and surprised by the worst. So that we would know He's with us.
do, you, do we realize that our worst case scenario has already happened? Hell? And guess what? In Jesus, you all made it through. That's really good news. Your worst case scenario of your life has already happened and you already made it in Jesus. God didn't leave you. He was for you. And all you have to bring to this so that you can grow in this fruit that's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of work so that sticks aren't snakes. It's all you've got to do is one thing. It's the one thing anxious people don't want to do is you just got to get really needy. you got to stay really needy. And being needy don't feel safe. You've got to be real needy before God. We know that in theory, but in our experience, we despise need. But if you look back into, into the recovery of the gospel, even the heart of the Reformation, this was the thing. All you bring to God is your need. And that's not just a one-time experience. That's your whole life. And when you begin to live in a constant state of neediness before God, where you're casting your cares on Him, where you're taking everything to Him, you're telling the truth about how you feel, you're telling the truth about how afraid you are, that's when you actually are in a place to experience God's presence. That's when you can offer prayer with, with thanksgiving. Because out of need comes presence, and out of presence comes gratitude. And then you begin to love people. You begin to be present with people. You're not watching yourself. You're not always watching your back. You're actually loving people so that you can tell them the truth about how you feel. You're not managing your relationships. You're not managing your life. You're actually living. Not just surviving. We're going to sing a song in a second. And it's by a man named Horatio Spafford. In 1873, he received a message from his wife. Uh, their house had been destroyed in a, in a fire. I believe it might have been the Chicago fire. They had moved across sea to Europe. He went first, and he, his wife and his four daughters were coming to meet them. And in 1873, he received a message from his wife. And the note read two words, saved alone. She and the girls, the four girls, had been in a horrible collision at sea and their ship had gone down and all four of his daughters died. They'd already lost their son three years earlier. The fire had ruined them financially. They were just grasping for life. Now all his children are dead. That man, Horatio Spafford, got on a boat to go meet his wife as she had, had to be sent back. And on the way back, he penned these words. Some think near or over the same spot the daughters died. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, 
Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What could anchor the heart and the mind of a person who's lost everything like that? Not mere facts. Not crystal ball details of the future. But the presence of a good father who is with him. We cultivate the presence of God if we want to grow the peace of God the face of our fractured selves. Father, we thank you. We thank you that however mumbled and jumbled trying to say this is, that you are with us. You will be with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. So now as we come to your table, may you help us to share in this peace together. In Jesus' name, amen. The cup, a picture of his blood shed.